every Indian, no matter where he may be living at the present time, has a duty towards his country and he must contribute his due share towards the final victory. The task of liberating India is ours and ours alone. 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 That was current Home Minister Amit Shah campaigning in Rajasthan. His speech was targeted at members of the Indian National Congress for allegedly showing concern for illegal immigrants in Assam. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Thinksum. In this episode of Thinksum, we are going to discuss the National Registration of Citizens or NRC. the instrument which the government is planning to use to throw out infiltrators my name is soparnika krishnan and i will give you a brief overview of the issue and talk about the economic facets of the problem before you listen to danish and shubani talk about it in depth and detail so first question what is the nrc basically it's a list of genuine indian citizens it is not a public document it is a secret administrative document not open for inspection it was prepared by census enumerators based on census slips of 1951 currently it is applied only in assam so nrc is not new it is not something the bjp introduced but the bjp has promised to implement it across india second question why is there an issue in assam regarding nrc people in assam have been demanding that the nrc be updated in their region for a long time why so that they can identify and stop the massive influx of illegal immigrants who mostly come from bangladesh the process of updating the nrc in assam was started last year people of assam had to submit documents to prove that they had been living in the state since before march 25 1971 this date was a crucial cut off date to sort out the illegal immigrants To clarify, an illegal immigrant is someone who enters a country without a valid passport or other official documents. Not all immigrants are illegal. When the first draft of the NRC was released, over 40 lakh people who had submitted their documents could not find their names on it. The official size of the issue is 40 lakh 70,707 people who are at risk of being stateless after the implementation of NRC in Assam. this event of people mostly minorities suddenly becoming stateless is not unique to india governments of bhutan thailand and myanmar have implemented citizenship policies which have led to the creation of massive refugee groups the government of bhutan stripped off citizenship and expelled more than 100000 bhutanese of ethnic nepali origin in the early 1990s the majority of whom are still refugees Many of these refugees and stateless minorities live in dire poverty and find any recourse very difficult without official documentation. Let's come back to the issue of illegal immigrants in Assam. Today, Assam is grappling with a terrible flood. Before this, it was already dealing with resource scarcity. This resource scarcity has been attributed in part to the massive influx of illegal immigrants. I am going to share an economic analysis of this immigration problem. In economics, immigration is understood as a culmination of certain push factors and pull factors. Illegal immigrants in Assam majorly come from Bangladesh. 
a major factor pushing them out of Bangladesh is the environment crisis in that country. Factors pulling them to Assam are land and a comparatively much better lifetime welfare. Most immigrants from Bangladesh, particularly those who enter and live in Assam illegally, own very little assets back in their country. In Assam, it is relatively easier to acquire land and other assets. There are vast public lands available. Moreover, a large part of the state is covered by forests. The immigrants with little resistance encroach upon these lands. Now the most important question. Are illegal immigrants from Bangladesh taking away jobs from the people of Assam, which is already dealing with a high unemployment rate? Short answer, we can't say for sure because there isn't enough economic evidence. What we do know is that the illegal immigrants do not compete for jobs in the same labor market as the native people. High unemployment is prevalent among the educated natives. And since the illegal immigrants are mostly illiterate, they do not compete for the same jobs. However, Bangladeshi immigrants have replaced migrant workers from other parts of India, particularly from Bihar, in the informal labor market. They work in increasing numbers as construction workers, day labourers, porters, rickshaw pullers and household helpers. The supply of cheap labour has definitely benefited the consumers of services and producers in Assam. However, it should be recognised that the children of these immigrants have now received education and they have started entering the formal labour market which may aggravate the educated unemployment problem in the future. The Bangladeshi migrants work primarily in the agricultural sector or in the urban informal sector. Interestingly, in the early 1900s, the peasant migrants from the erstwhile East Bengal brought with them better cultivation techniques and a greater variety of crops. They also introduced multiple cropping that was not practiced by the natives. Thus, they contributed to rise in productivity of agriculture in Assam. Because of this contribution, Assam had a rice surplus by as early as 1947 and also had a number of vegetables and crops earlier unknown in the state. There are obviously many adverse effects of this illegal immigration. As a result of the encroachment of riverine deltas and forest lands, the ecosystem in Assam has been adversely affected, leading to long-term effects on weather and climatic conditions. The illegal immigrants have also encroached on land inside the belts and blocks specifically reserved for the tribal people in the state. The illegal immigrants hardly contribute to the government revenue because they don't pay taxes, while the government spends a substantial amount to maintain this significantly large fraction of the population. If we further add the sum of the money the government spends every year in providing reliefs to the flood victims, among whom the immigrants living in the riverine deltas constitute a large fraction and subsidies on food items through fair price shops, the total costs to the government of maintaining this immigrant population would run into several crores of rupees. Since people move across the border from Bangladesh primarily for economic reasons, the solution to this problem must address these economic issues. Also, it is in India's best interest that Bangladesh does not fall far behind in the process of economic growth. Greater economic cooperation between two countries is of strategic importance to deal with the illegal immigration problem. You can read more about this issue in a research paper titled Illegal Immigration into Assam, Magnitude, Causes and Economic Consequences, written by Suresh and Hiranyanath. The influx of immigrants has long-run implications for demographic composition of Assam. 
not only has the diversity increased but also in the last quarter of a century immigration has led to political unrest and ethnic tensions the poor economic performance both in terms of growth and provisions of public good may be attributed to a large extent to the socio political problems triggered by illegal immigration from bangladesh the nrc is supposed to be a solution to the illegal immigration problem but its implementation is raising a new set of concerns that's it from me over to you shubani and danish hello welcome guys i'm shubani and i'm danish we want to take on a story on a narrative that starts at 1947 india is at the brink of independence we are making our twist with destiny but we have made that twist with everybody that we are going to include in this blanket name we're putting as india right uh, we assume that india at 47 looked the way we think india looks today but that's not very true there are parts of india that are surrounded by land there are surrounded by people who are a lot more like them linguistically demographically uh, culturally um that for those states the question wasn't very simple the question wasn't a black and white it wasn't india or pakistan it was many other options a lot of these options also came about in the northeast so uh, all the states that we now include in the northeast did not join the indian republic at the same time so for example certain former princely states like meghalaya like manipur like tripura who joined at much later dates so these states also underwent very strong secessionist movements and they were motivated by many sentiments many of them also included this kind of sense of not being a part or not being thought of as a part of the indian subcontinent in the first place right for a very long time at least under the british empire the entirety of the northeast called as the assam province so when you hear about the secessionist movements from assam a lot of these states were carved out of assam assam forms the central chunk of the northeast the small corridor connecting the entirety of the northeast to the indian subcontinent is just 22 kilometers long that is the same amount of distance from noida to india gate in fact noida to india gate is further by 2 kilometers and this in the past has caused a lot of problems and it has been used as an excuse very often for example there were many famines that that have happened in the northeast for example mizoram where the complete neglect from the central government has yeah. led them to understand that this government doesn't fight for them like it fights for its own people and that brings the question that why should we then be part of this government right so if you think about assam even a little further back from 1947 we have the idea of the tea plantations in assam and this will come back to us in echoes later in the discussion danish but the idea that tea plantations and that was a major resource the british were looking for an alternate source of tea after their fight with china and uh, they found tea indigenous tea within assam and they understood that they could import and plant tea within assam so it became a concentration of economic production i'm not saying growth i'm saying production so all these tea plantations that have for decades dominated the assamese economy don't belong to the assamese people they belong to companies like brookburns like uh, other companies that are based in london so all of the manufacturing all of the money is going back to london who do these tea plantations employ people from outside assam from outside the northeast they imported uh, labor from chota nagpur area from the santhals and other stuff or from outside like bangladesh or i mean the again reiterating what is outside and inside has changed throughout history yeah. and it will continue to change so let's not look at them as very set boundaries very lucid boundaries actually they are so the labor who came in and settled down in assam also in large numbers was also not from assam Yeah. So again, employment is not going to the Assamese people. Production is not under their name, but they are thought of as oh Assam, oh that's from there, that's where tea is from. Yeah. But none of that is coming back to them. So the idea of a wealth drain that Dada Bhai Naroji first propagated in his his article is something that I feel is a very strong sentiment within the Assam economy even today. 
there's a lot of oil production in Assam as well, yeah. which is again uh, mostly used by the public sector uh, companies, and those companies end up employing very few locals. So again, that is not an economy that they are really functioning or benefiting from. In 1950s, Ranish, what was what was happening in India in 1950s? So India in 1950 has just come out of the partition. We have a new constitution. We want to create the idea that India is one, India is united, because a lot of people are doubting India's integrity as a nation because India is was not one country; it had around more than five hundred country states. So India wanted to have a very strong statement as regard to national identity, citizenship, who is a citizen. The Constitution of India is a primary legal instrument. But under Article Five of the Constitution, it says that whoever was either born in India or whose parents were born in India or who has been ordinarily resident of India. is a citizen of india and it further says in the article 11 that the parliament has the power to lay down under any law as to what provisions will you know further carry on citizenship rights in other articles for example article 6 7 and 8 it talks about specific deadlines which is pre 1950 for example people who have come to india post 1947 or people who have gone back from india post 1947 what about them so that has been described above under article 11 of the constitution you have also this new act which has come in which is called the citizenship act of india of 1955 which talks about a lot of things about to grant citizenship what the, what are the rules of citizenship how can citizenship be revoked so that is the 50 55 and 50s framework within decades you will see there's a changing chronology there's a changing idea of citizenship in 1950 the idea is if you're born in india before 1950 or after 1950 or your parents are are resident in india you are a citizen but as we as a conversation we'll talk about chronologically this idea of citizenship will change because i also i think there is a lot to say about citizenship as it is as the word right it's yeah. a topic that has been discussed ever since the grecian civilizations of who qualifies to be a citizen does it it doesn't only mean somebody who votes is a citizen some it doesn't only mean somebody who lives there is a citizen and that's question that will keep changing according to context at that time right so for example in the partition what was immediate for that situation like, yeah. like was for then it was more focus was on the north western side of india yeah. and a lot and the focus on the north eastern side of india came much later in much the later. 19, in the 1970s and that's why the north is again different in terms of policy whereas for a majority of india in 1947 by time of 1950 it was set who was a citizen this question still lingered in the northeast so a very important point that how it can buttress by the constitution is that it says the word domicile if you are domicile in india that means if at the time of the partition if your intention of residence is mm-hmm. in india that i want to live in india then you are a citizen of india that is very I think that is very telling in terms of the historical context that we are talking about. Yeah. Because later on, two thousand four, when you amend the Citizenship Act, it says that if both are your parents, only then you are a citizen. Yeah. And I think also what is important to understand is that we take it for granted, but for a lot of people, it's not as confirmed easy. or it's not stable as that, as easy as that. And for us, it's so easy. It's assumed that because we are Indian, we have certain rights. So something that integral to you. something that kind of motivates everything from your song choices to how you dress up in diwali or how you you know would introduce yourself to some some international person saying oh i am an indian oh he or avi he is an indian itna something something as crucial to you is being questioned that must be a very unstable and very scary feeling you know if you see the constitution itself it says that it's a union of india right mm. it wanted to break all those regional sentiment yeah. that is there yeah. that no, no person says that i am i am from bombay yeah. or i am from madras mm. or i am from here or from there mm-hmm. the citizenship act provides for ways in which a person can become a citizen Mm. That is by naturalization, or by birth, or by registration, yeah. or by habitual residence. These are the Citizenship Act provides ways. Secondly, it provides in what conditions can the government revoke citizenship. Yeah. So, 
this idea that you declare yourself to be a citizen to the government and the government also had the right to take away that citizenship yeah. is it a equal bargaining i don't think so the 1960s was also a very tumultuous time for indian politics in the northeast 60 to the war has happened yes the war with china has just happened over um, india giving asylum to the dalai lama from tibet an alternate perspective comes in and that's very important ramchandra guha in his book india after gandhi writes that the problem in assam is the linguistic problem So, for example, the Bengalis and the Assamese, or the Ahomeyas, Bengalis uh, formed a large part of the colonial bureaucracy. The chance of English education was higher on the Bengali side. The chance of English colonial administrative system or colonial bureaucracy was much more within the Bengali culture, where Bengalis are now taking over culturally. They are taking over, if if not demographically. Now, towards eighteen eighties onwards, this has happened. This is much predates our discussion, where Bengali peasants. I started moving into um, parts of Assam to take because of work to take up jobs etc. And now they have they settled down in those places and because they have a cultural dominance, it felt like a right that they have within that state. And then they kind of molded that 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 society um, in their own path. The animosity began where the indigenous Assamese or Ahomeyas started feeling that there is a cultural taking over by the Bengalis. and that the language is being imposed the culture is being imposed onto them now you can draw a parallel between this and ruhr in germany where yeah, the yeah. imposition of the french language the german language was a big question to it during the second world war we looking at a linguistic sort of tussle so there's a lot of feeling about assamese feeling wrong and assamese feeling that they have been denied their right over their own land their own resources and their own culture and this a propagation of an assamese culture is being lost so this threat of cultural subordination was very Uh, problematic and this kind of creates a perfect entryway yeah. to people like the all assam students union guwahati based singer and performer prabhan shakya a master student in performance studies had this to say let's go back to 1979 when the assam movement or the ahomandalon had started assam witnessed one of the most popular socio political movement in its history which was led by a student organization at its helm the asu all assam students union the movement was sparked by the discovery of lakhs of illegal immigrants in a constituency voter list in 1978 and the next year 1979 the all assam students union started the homandolon with the demand that all illegal immigrants coming to india from bangladesh coming after 1951 need to be detained and deported the assam andolan ended in 1985 with the home sukti or the assam accord which stated that not 1951 but 1971 will be the year after which all illegal immigrants would be detained and deported now even though it was hugely supported by assamese muslims and it was considered a huge success for the hardliners of the pro movement camp most popularly the alpha it was not adequate so for the next 20 years they created absolute havoc in assam the 90s were the darkest period in assamese history where there were a huge number of political assassinations targeted killings and serial bomb blasts one of the most horrific incidents in the 21st century for assam has been the serial bomb blast which happened in october 2008 when 81 people were killed in that serial bomb blast and over 400 people were injured now that same evening in response to these violence two activists met an official from the assam public works to discuss the situation in assam one year later they filed a petition to the supreme court which 
began the procedure for the NRC in the coming years. The petition said that let NRC be a tool in which these people could be safeguarded from Assam, from India. Let NRC offer that legitimacy. So whether it is effective or ineffective, that's a different debate. But it was brought in with intentions which were by no means assert them to be chauvinist. A parallel example, the Chakma and the Hajong refugees. Now, giving you a very brief background on these on those, these groups, the Chakma are largely Buddhist and the Hajong are largely Hindu refugees. They are originally from the Chittagong Hill tracts. Now, Chittagong had been a very important hub of nationalism when in the independence struggle. A lot of our uh, prominent, violent um, revolutionaries came from Chittagong. Very interesting. But they were from the Chittagong Hill tra- tracts. And in 1964-65, the Kaptai Dam on the Karnapuli River was being created. But in 64-65, these people were pushed out of Bangladesh. And they were also pushed out of Bangladesh because they were non-Muslims and they were non-Bengali-speaking people. So they were kind of, uh, you know, made to feel separate and pushed into pockets of Northeast. They moved to two places largely. Number one, they moved to Mizoram. And second, they moved to Arunachal Pradesh. Now, geographically, if you think about it, Mizoram makes sense. It's a, it's a border country to Bangladesh. But in, within Mizoram, they faced a lot of uh, social exclusion. exclusion by the Mizos, which caused them to move to Tripura, where the relief camps are made. Their movement to Arunachal Pradesh can be explained because the government, the Indian government, built relief camps in the then Northeast Frontier Agency, which were made in vacant lands. So they were given lands that had very little economic value, but they were given lands to stay. In 1971, coming back to where we were in the storyline, the Chakma and the Hajong um, opposed integration with Bangladesh. They said, we are part of, very much part of the Indian subcontinent. We want to be a part of this continent. Mm. So in, in the Bangladesh 71 war, they formed a group called the Shakti Vahine, which was a very strong guerrilla warfare group, which uh, fought against Bangladeshi, uh, the armed forces. Much later, this group will then sign an accord with Sheikh Hasina in 1997. We will come to that a little later in the story. But 75 to 77, now we are in we are in an Assam that is very politically agitated. The Students' Union is a non-political group. Can you imagine? Like a purely people-oriented, people-originated. And all, if you think across history, all movements have, that have become or begun with students or begun from the grassroots have usually been very, very successful. For example, uh, look at Hong Kong as an example. Or look at China, the, the early peasant wars in China or Russia. They have usually been uh, epochal moments in, in our history, right? So the AASU signs a, an accord in eight, 1985 with yeah. the Rajiv Gandhi government in power. So Rajiv Gandhi is a very unique figure in Indian history. Somebody who had professed not wanting to become a part of the political system within India but had been pushed into that situation because of the death of his mother and the positioning of his family. He belongs to the Gandhi family, which is very prominent in in politics. The issue with democracy is that we assume it's the best way forward. So we assume our central government will always last. So if not somebody declaring them as a separate state, there are power tussles even within democracies. And that's what happened within Najib Gandhi's time very prominently. In 85, he managed to, you know, gift wrap certain things and tie ribbons on them. One of them was the Assam Accords. And this is very important in the context of the NRC. Because in the Assam Accord, when president rule was eradicated in Assam and they instituted the elections, the AASU, along with the Assam Sangram Gana Parishad, 
created a Assam Gana Parishad, which is the party, and they fought the election. And they defeated Congress like BJP defeated Congress this time. Basically, like it was a full like showdown. And Prafulla Mahanta was made the chief minister of Assam. And they signed these accords. And this accord mentioned Banish yeah. that anybody who comes in before 24th of March 1971 will be allowed to be a citizen of Assam. So this is a very important development in our story. A new date has been assigned to us. And this date kind of trumps over all your previous documents. 51 uh, NRC is now useless. Your uh, other movements still, the 71 number is now useless. Now the question then becomes, how do all of all these players in our story reposition themselves according to this particular date? So first story, first main character is about the citizenship. Now you will see with this Assam Accord coming in, two things happened. Firstly, your idea of the citizen having citizenship rights by virtue of his birth has changed. Yes. Now you have one more amendment coming in the Citizenship Act which says that only if within the period of 50 to 87, only if you're one of your parents are born in India, then you're a citizen of India because they have to maintain that balance. In, mm. Like you mentioned, Shivani, like you have 9 million people entering Assam now. You have to give those people their citizenship rights. On the same hand, you have to maintain kind of the same effect. So you have this Citizenship Amendment Act coming in 87 and you have Assam Accord which which amends again the Citizenship Act and introduces Section 60. Now Section 60 is very interesting because the first part of Section 60, uh, 6A mentions two dates. Hmm. First date is in 1966 and the second date is the one which you mentioned on March 24th. People who have entered Assam between 66 to 71 yeah. will be given citizenship rights where they will not be allowed to vote. Yes. So this brings me to a very interesting aspect. This, you know, lay and then ka business. Now, I don't want to vote in India, but don't vote in India. So now it becomes because that a sort was, of... That was the main contention, right? That, you know, you have come into the... What, according to... It's not my argument, but what people were arguing, you have come into the country like that, you hmm. will not give you a constitutional right to vote. Yeah. So, na not there. Na but they will get all property rights, they will get everything else. Okay. Be given a partial citizenship. Yeah. In 1997, when I left that story about yeah. Chakma and the yeah. uh, Hajong refugees, they signed a accord with Sheikh Hasina. Mm. Now, this is an interesting idea. This idea basically says you can have a, an understanding with the former country of residence, which is Bangladesh then, which is Bangladesh even today. Back then, Sheikh Hasina said, you know what, fine. We'll take some of you back. Whoever's willing to come, come back. Oh, I don't and know a lot of these refugees said, we don't want to come back. Because it's not just demographic, it's also social. They felt discriminated against because of their language and their religion. So they felt that any future in Bangladesh is anyways going to be abysmal. So they, they didn't opt for it. Of course, Bangladesh was restructuring itself. Who would want to go back? Yeah, I mean, this, so that brings us to 2005. Danish, can you explain to me what this IMDT is? To implement Assam Accord, they had instituted this IMDT, Illegal Migrants Determination Tribunal. Mm. The government had to show itself that it has taken appropriate steps to mm. find out who are the citizens or not. The government amended the Citizenship Act in 2004 and introduced a provision under the citizenship rules for Assam specifically to have a national register of citizens. Mm. Again, this system had to be on the basis of an application. Which means that the government will not go door to door asking you if you're a, whether you're a citizen of India or not. Mm. You, as a person who's residing in Assam, has to go to the government, show your documents. Mm. 
This was so the onus is, sh- is shifting. It's yeah. no longer the government's duty to take charge of this process. It is now kind of off-shouldered to us. Yeah. That, you know, you Before have this, to... coming to 2005, what really happened was the Supreme Court said in its judgment of Sagan and Sonawal judgment, it conceded that the government of India has not lived up to its duty to protect the states. Under mm-hmm. the constitution, Shivani, under Article 358, it's a very interesting article because it is the center's duty. The central government has a, has a duty to mm-hmm. protect the states from external aggression. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court ruled that by this IMTT tribunal, under which the government had the onus mm-hmm. to determine who is the citizen or not, mm-hmm. And that onus has not been fulfilled by the government in the past 20 years or so. The Supreme Court held that the central government has failed its duty to protect the states from external aggression. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court said that, you know, migrants coming into India amounts to external aggression. Can you imagine? That's also something that I had to question when I was doing this research, right? We come from a liberal sort of space of saying, oh, be pro-refugees at all times, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's easy to say this sitting in India, oh, Syria, Syrian refugees should get a home in US or UK. But that is one part of the story, right? What about the economies that can't handle this additional pressure? I was recently reading that illegal migrants have set up extremist camps in Assam. Hmm. There is violence going on there. And that is something that, you know, if you look at the economics of the situation, you can sort of preempt that it will happen. Yeah. If you have gotten into a country... And which is not willing to... Which is not willing to take you. Which you, you put into relief camps uh, with very abysmal conditions. For years, man. For detention camps. For detention camps. And you are uh, made the victim of pogroms. You are made the victim of these uh, religious attacks. Religious motivated attacks. You do become a hotbed for extremist thought. It's very easy to say that, oh, they shouldn't have. Or, or they, you know, should have resisted. It is an opportunity for a better life that they're fighting for. Yeah. That has been denied to them by the government of the country that they have moved to. Supreme Court struck down that tribunal mm. and then the government set up foreign tribunals. Another point that I want to interestingly mention is that if you read citizenship rules, mm. the central government has the discretion to set up a national register of Indian citizens all over the country. Assam is, is a constitutional obligation under Assam Accord, but the central government may end day it may have set up these tribunals asking all over the country to justify your citizenship. Mm. And this is something that, you know, brings us to 2015 and the present day. 2015, just to bring that story to an end, which is an alternate way that this story could end as well, is the Chakma refugees were given citizenship in 2015. Yeah. They were officially recognized as Indian citizens, although at an in, initial age, they weren't given a right to buy land. In Arunachal Pradesh, uh, to, to even stay in Arunachal, they had to sign an inner land permit to stay with the to stay within Arunachal Pradesh. So even after years and decades of such instability, the end result is the Indian government accepting all these people into the Indian Republic. But understand the politics behind. And now Dan- Danish and I will come to the conjectural part of our research. Right? What is the political thought and the political motivations behind the execution of the NRC as it is done today? So if you think about it. The accord was signed by Congress. I know it's a wrong way of looking at it. Rajiv Gandhi was the Prime Minister, so we should look at him as a unpolitical... Uh, a partisan. It is an, and very often it's argued that he was the closest that we could come to an a-partisan Prime Minister. But this was a Congress promise. And this promise was given back in, eight, in 1985. 
rejuvenated forever and they will not fulfill that promise you know why because in 2015 as i think it filed a petition again asking to you know kind of implement this assam accord see nrc has not been mandated by the government of india it's a it's a supreme court monitored exercise yeah that's what a lot of people are also talking about right that supreme court has transgressed its limits mm-hmm. or you know staying within the judicial umbrella and even politically if you think about it right Mamta Banerjee had campaigned in one of her rallies that she wants to give citizenship rights to all refugees who are speak Bengali. Now understand the little asterisk she put towards the end. That this entire idea is motivated by voter bank politics. If something that is politically motivated also has a very set end. Election जीतना है भाई. अब BJP जीत गई election. They are in power in the center and they also have a government in Arunachal Pradesh and uh, Assam. so they are more motivated that they will now kick out this these illegal immigrants now my question danish becomes is it correct to call somebody an illegal immigrant before the process of nrc is finished because it's not finished yet here's what media student aditya gautam from guwahati had to say about this the rise of right wing phenomena has also found its roots in assam and the bjp has capitalized on the sentiment by offering citizenship to non muslim bangladeshi immigrants by saying that they were victims of persecution during the 1971 war that massively increased the influx of refugees to assam so the nrc also goes against the assam accord in certain ways why oh. is because the nrc along with uh, removing people who came to india after 1971 also decreases the qualifying years to become a citizen of india okay. so before it was 11 years now it's 6 years and it's it's been passed so any Buddha, Hindu, Parsi, Christian, etc. Who wants to apply for Indian citizenship will get it much faster than his colleagues have gotten in the past. So it is opposite to Assam Accord, which wanted to stop all sort of immigration into Assam. Yeah. BJP had never been able to get a foothold in the northeast. It its foothold is very recent. A small example of this paradox of BJP and northeast and ideological is that once BJP won some big electoral win in the center, and to celebrate. Norway showed its state it was but in some state in the northeast they had a beef eating party to celebrate the victory of bjp so understand beef eating party which is is absolutely legitimate in northeastern context but it yeah. is so paradoxical to the central bjp you know Idealism. ideas bjp is now trying to change or bridge this gap it wants to spread hindutva or or, or say its ideas its of ideas hinduism. of hinduism to the northeast as well and this is a success big step in that success however prabahan thinks differently the supreme court has also mandated that by no means will any data pertaining to the nrc shall be accessible to the state or the central government so the government cannot access any data any information obtaining uh, pertaining to the nrc now so this brings us to an assertion which is not fully you know popular in the public domain at least in the national news that the nrc is actually creating a lot of problems for the bjp firstly the bjp came to power in assam offering magnificent numbers of illegal immigrants <coughs> coming from bangladesh to assam the nrc just proves that these statements were in fact wrong and the numbers were wrong and these claims were actually hollow number 2 the nrc safeguards all immigrants who had come before 1971 from bangladesh to assam if they provide adequate documents so the bjp can't come after them with uh, you know anti migrant rhetoric because 
their rights have been officially safeguarded so that becomes a problem for the bjp and their justification for this is is that in afghanistan in pakistan in bangladesh in burma a lot of minority communities are harassed mm-hmm. and india is now being the the beacon land of, of hindus the beacon of hope and accepting atithi devabhava like come we will accept you but the question is there are many sects within islam as well and this is an yeah. argumentation that divrati argues with that the ahmadiyas are also discriminated in afghanistan why aren't we opening a border to them that is a petition which is arguing that the citizenship amendment bill is unconstitutional and the section 6a of the uh, citizenship act is unconstitutional i want the supreme court to really rule on them because so many fundamental questions of who is a citizen what is the relationship of the citizenship rights with the other people in in the country is very is very deterministic of what we call as a country ourselves because yeah. our policy of citizenship is so fluid yeah for example america has this policy okay if anyone is born in america you are an american hmm. we don't even have that yeah we are changing within 30 years yeah 2003 citizenship amendment act said that if both of your parents are citizenship or if either either one of them is not an illegal migrant you will be a citizen of india okay. so this dilution why this dilution man is so it flies in the face of what they are saying all of these things right now yeah i mean one of the bigger problems that we have facing us today with the nrc is the execution of it yeah now we understand there's a historical context to why it needs to exist but how are you carrying it forward having an nrc might not be a bad idea but having it this way i believe is a bad idea it began in in 2015 there will be a list that will come out there which will collate who all are join your application based on huh? so the, the first list is just who all are citizens of assam now you check that list and if your name is there then great you are sorted If your name is not there, then you go with your documents. Now these documents are categorized in two sections. One is list A documents, and second is list B documents. List A documents is any document that is based before nineteen seventy one. So, for example, if my grandmother's birth certificate or her property document, something like that, that is a list A document. List B document is any document that connects you to a list A document. So, if I have a birth certificate which names my mother. Mm-hmm. and my mother was pre 71 then that becomes a list b document mm-hmm. and all of these documents are then to be submitted to not be categorized as a d citizen which is a doubtful citizen option number 1 i have these documents i go and submit it and i am not scot free option 2 i don't have these documents because very often we are uh, seasonal migrants or we are not literate enough or, or we are not of course when na- name 1971 violence is going on you don't yes, have time we are shifted in a hurry we haven't carried papers with us or uh, we belong to poorer class that hasn't gotten access to education to a certain extent that only for example village documents or headman or mukhiya documents are enough are, are accessible for us and those aren't allowed or those aren't admissible in these tribunals what do i do then and very often this is happening that families that's this for example and that family will be on the list one kid would not be on the list they, then they will be taken to jail here prabahan does not agree the state coordinator of the nrc in assam was an IAS official uh, named Pratik Hajela he clarified multiple times that the people who don't make it to the NRC will get opportunity in the future will get ample opportunity in the future to prove their citizenship via documents and will their rights will be safeguarded and by no under no circumstance will they be detained in any detention camps we will be we were in a situation where my name is not on the list and i don't have the documents yeah. now what do i do very interestingly <clears throat> now back in 2018 it was shown that 40 lakh people were excluded from the list mm. in 
I feel is to dispossess someone of their livelihood and their lived history and experiences. But that's a context you need to have in mind when you think about or make up your mind about what the NRC is and where you stand as opposed to that. Thank you so much for listening this, with this tenuous podcast. So this is signing off. This is Danish. This is Bunny. Bye. Bye-bye. How long is this? <laughs> Quite long.